Have you ever encountered someone who was skeptical about everything? I mean, have you ever met someone? It's like they never can just take your word for it. They always have to ask questions. It's like they never rest because they all, it's like their mind is always gone with skepticism. And it's like they never rest. Those people are the worst. <laughs> Who's that? They're, they're the worst. I'm one of those people, by the way. <laughs> so I, I can admit we are the worst people in the world. Um, Actually, my wife and I are the same. We're the same. She's skeptical in a different way than I am. She's curious. I am cynical. (laughs) And so we get into these arguments, and it just seems like they're never ending, and it's because neither one of us want to take each other's word for it. (laughs) We have to get to the bottom of things, right? And so, but many, raise your hand if you're a skeptic. Any skeptics in the room? A little bit, right? Okay. What many of us skeptics don't realize is that skepticism has a root cause, okay? Skepticism has a root cause. There is a root to your skepticism. And many of us are just not aware of what's leading us to be skeptical, of what's leading us towards this skepticism. And there are two sides to skepticism. There was the side where I just mentioned my wife. She is a curious skeptic. Her skepticism is more a curiosity. She just wants clarity and understanding. She just wants to know and be sure, right? But then there's the side of skepticism that's cynical, which, which is just, I put the definition of um, cynicism up here. It's an attitude or state of mind characterized by a general distrust of others' motives. This is not just a curiosity. This is, I'm asking questions, and even when you give me the answer, I'm skeptical about the answer that you gave me because I really don't trust your motives. I actually don't even trust you, and so I need to find the answer for myself. And even when I find the answer for myself, I'm still going to be unsure because I'm cynical, and I just, I just don't trust anything, right? And so there's two aspects to skepticism that we've got to be aware of. And this plagues our, this is not a Christian thing, right? Sometimes we think that there are certain things that just plague Christians and nobody else experiencing this, but this is not that, right? This is an everybody thing. This is not a personal thing. This is an everybody thing. And so um, the the skepticism that we're going to talk about today, we see it in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17. We see both of these at work in Acts chapter 17. We see this curiosity, but we also see this cynicism and this antagonistic kind of skepticism. Um, my wife, right, we have this thing, so I drive my wife to work every day, early in the morning. I rise to take her to work. And... If you know anything about Atlanta traffic, you know how unpredictable it can be and just demonic it can be. (laughs) And so if you really don't have the Holy Ghost, you're going to know when you get into Atlanta traffic. And my wife didn't really get the Holy Ghost till like two years into our marriage. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to like stop letting her drive. So I, I take her to work every day. But we get into these arguments because I've, gotten to, I've been here in Georgia for four years now, and so I've gotten to this place to where I don't need to use the GPS as much. But she uses the GPS for everything. 
Mm -mm. <laughs> she will go down the street and turn on the GPS. There's no timing involved. It's like, it's around the corner. What are you doing? So we'll get into these arguments because she's a stickler about being on time for work. Right? She likes to be on. She does not want to be late for work. That's, that's not the way that she rolls, okay? And I understand that, and I respect that, and so I get her to work before she's supposed to be there every day. As the wonderful, amazing husband that I am, I make sure she's on time for work. She doesn't have to work. She can do her makeup in the car. She can sleep. She can do whatever she wants, and she gets to work on time every single day. She never has to question whether or not I'm going to do this, but because Atlanta traffic is so unpredictable, there are moments where she doesn't trust that I'm going to get her to work on time. And so she wants me to turn on the GPS so that she can see how long it's going to take us to get to her job. Now, the problem with this is because I have a method of determining how long it's going to take me to get to her job, right? And so all I'm asking for her is to just trust me. I've never gotten her to work late before. I've never gotten her to work late before, right? And if I, if I know that I, we are going, in fact, running late, it's not because of me. It's because she came out late. There's traffic, and you got to you know, let your job know that this is what's happening. But it has nothing to do with me and my driving because I time it just right, right? And so we were in the car this one day, and she was so upset because she kept asking me questions, asking me how long it's going to take to get to work, asking me to please turn on the GPS, and we're just going back and forth. We're arguing, and I'm just like, you got to shut up. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get you to work on time, and you don't have to worry about this. And so she's like, I don't understand why you can't just do this. You're so prideful, blah, 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 blah. And blah, blah, blah. This is the problem with you. You never, and it's just like going on and on, coming at me right early in the morning. And so I'm just like, what is going on with this shit, right? And so finally I snapped. I snapped. I was like, hold up. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I was like. Here's how I know I'm going to get you to work on time, okay? If I get to I-20 by 6.45 or 6.50, I know it's going to take me 10 minutes to get from I-20 to 75. I know if I get on 75 by this time, I know it's only going to take me this amount of time to get from 75 to 400. I know if I get on 400 by this time, it's only going to take me this amount of time and this amount of time to get from 400 to exit 4A. <laughs> And when we get to 4A, I'm going to get you to your job by 726. <laughs> and she was like, oh, why didn't she just say that? And I got her to her job by what time? 726. 726. <laughs> it's for real. Like, I have a method as to how I do it. And so I know that if it takes longer on this road, I know that we're going to be pushing it. So I'm going to tell her by this point, hey, you might want to let your job know or something like that. But for the most part, I can navigate around that, okay? And so she never has to worry. Ever since I broke it down to her, she's never asked me again, right? And the next day, after she responded like, why don't you just say that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> why can't you just trust me? The next day, I wanted to prove it to her that I knew 
what I was doing. So I told her, hey, babe, it's going to take us about this amount of time on this road. Then we're going to get on that road. We got on that road. I'm like, hey, it's going to take us about this time. We're going to get to your job about this time. We pulled up to her job at that exact time. I'm really good at this, by the way. <laughs> and so she has not asked me to turn on the GPS ever since this happened. And so her skepticism, which I thought was from a place of distrust, right? I thought it was like this cynical, I'm just not going to trust you. I'm just antagonistic. I'm just really just, I just need to know because I've got something in me that just needs to know, right? It just, it actually came from a place of sincerity. She really just wanted to know and make sure that there was actually a method <laughs> going on, right? And so when she found that out, her skepticism was satisfied. But the reality is that for many of us, our skepticism is never fully satisfied because our skepticism is not really pure in its motive, right? We're not really looking for truth, if we're honest. You know, people in our society are very skeptical about Christianity. They're very skeptical about God. But if we're honest about skepticism, there is a way to be skeptical but cynical, and when you're skeptical and cynical at the same time, you're not looking for truth. Right? All right. So Acts chapter 17, Paul actually encounters people where he's having to have conversations and try to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And so if you guys remember, I told you guys in prior weeks that Paul is going to be the one that was used to actually minister the gospel to people who were of higher socioeconomic statuses in society. He's going to minister to people who were of a higher class and educational levels. Like up until Acts chapter 16, there were people who were coming into the faith, but most of them were poor disenfranchised, people who were oppressed, people who were just looking for some sense of hope. But Paul is the one that God uses to reach people who weren't just poor, who weren't just in need of a better life, but they were good, right? There are people who are good who still need Jesus. There are people who are successful, who are educated, who are in high positions, who are still without hope. And so sometimes we get this this confused gospel that says we just got to minister to people who are poor, who people who are oppressed or who are, you know, just down and out. Right. That's not the only place that the gospel reaches. And so Paul is being used now in Acts chapter 17 to talk to people who got degrees, the educated. They've got some kind of status. They've got some kind of success. They're in, they're in high positions in the community. And he starts to look at what it says in Acts 17, verse 2. It says, as, let's read it together. One, two, three. So he's going to the synagogues and he's reasoning with people from the scriptures. You know, in our society today, we're made to believe that for some reason, reason and scripture are two mutually exclusive things. They just have nothing to do with one another, right? You're made to believe that your Bible does not have any reason or logic or rationale behind it. But we see here that Paul uses the scripture to reason with people in the synagogues. And he's actually using this as a way to actually prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So today, I want to talk about how we discover truth in an age of reason. How we discover truth in the age of reason. Last week, it was like a message that was kind of stirring on my heart, and so it was really preachy. I was preaching last week, but this week is going to be more of a teaching. So I'm going to need you to get your notes out, your, your device or whatever you take notes with, if you've got a notepad, a pen, all of that good stuff, because we're really going to dig into this here. All right, so it says that Paul opened up the scriptures and reasoned with them, right? Now, let me just say this before we keep reading. There are two reasons that people ask questions about God who don't know God. Okay? There are two reasons that people ask questions about God who don't know God. And the two reasons are, number one, they're either looking for a reason to believe or they're looking for a reason not to believe. There's only two reasons that somebody who doesn't know God is going to ask questions about God. Did I say that backwards? They're looking for a reason to believe or looking for a reason not to believe. So in other words, if I don't know God and I'm asking questions about God, I'm, if I'm looking for a reason to believe, there's going to be an openness, there's going to be an, an, uh, a curiosity that's going to be sincere in my questioning, right? But if I'm looking for a reason not to believe, I'm just trying to poke holes in your responses. And you've encountered those people. It's like they ask these questions, but you, you know that they're not really wanting to know the answer to the question. They're just trying to get you to trip up and try to throw something in there to kind of get you questioning what you believe. You're looking at me like y'all don't know these kind of people, but I know you know these kind of people. <laughs> and so Paul is encountering these people. He encounters both kinds of people, people who are looking for, you know, okay, if this is the truth, give me a reason to believe this. Like, how do you know that this is true, right? That's just an open-minded person. That's a person who's just like, I'd want to know the truth. You know, I, I, w- I would want to know the truth. I don't want to live in a lie. So give me a reason why I should believe this. Like, that's a person who is, in, you know, curious about knowing the truth. And they're looking for a reason to believe. But then you've got other people who, it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to listen to you, but they're not listening to understand or for clarity or for truth's purpose. They're listening just so that they can either poke holes in your argument or just be antagonistic. So let's read verse 3. You want to read it together again? Sure. Kind of fun. On count of three. One, two, three. He explained. Keep going. Along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few. Notice the word prominent women. Remember, Paul is being used to talk to people of higher class, right? Let's keep going. But some of the Jews... Now, all of the Jews were listening. Y'all remember reading that? Mm -hmm. All of the Jews were listening, but some of them were persuaded, and some of them were just jealous. Some of them started just causing trouble, and they started gathering people together to 
to start this mob and to start rioting, right? And, and it's because there were some people who were listening honestly, okay? I want to hear what you have to say. Tell me what you got to say. But then there were other people who had already made up their mind about what it is that they were going to believe in. And so it didn't matter what Paul said. It didn't matter how good his reasonings were for what he believed. They were never going to come into this to accept this message because they weren't looking for a reason to believe. They were just looking for more reasons not to believe. And the fact that he was able to persuade some of the Jews just made them even the more mad. It's like, oh my goodness, now, now I'm really about to tear up some stuff because you over here taking my people and we just can't have that. So right now Paul was in Thess Thessalonica and Paul travels to Berea. And let's read what happens in Berea? Let's go down to verse 11. And the people? Now, you got to listen to this. These people, it says that they were open-minded, but understand that they weren't just here to just go with the flow. They weren't just here to just accept everything that Paul was saying to them. And so what they did was they took, they listened to what he had to say because they were open-minded. Okay, I'll listen to what you had to say, what you have to say. But what did they do? They went and they searched the scriptures day after day day after day to see if what he was saying actually made sense to see if actually what he was saying was the real truth that they should put their hope in and so they did their research they investigated everything that he was saying and so these were the people who were curious they were they were open-minded but they were searching for the truth and i want to tell you that if you search for the truth you will find it You'll find the truth if you're searching from a place of sincerity. But for many people, the reason that they're not accepting, the reason why there are walls and barriers to believe is because if we're honest, we're really not looking for truth. We're looking for justification for what we already believe. And that's not just people outside of the faith. That's even people inside of the faith. There is a way that you can search for answers and only always get the same answer because it's the answer that you want to find. When you place your own assumptions, your own beliefs, your own everything at the foundation of your research and all of your efforts and searching for answers, then you're going to find the same thing each and every time. But if you clear all of that out, understand what's influencing you, understand where your, uh, where your beliefs are rooted in, and you come with a blank slate and say, you know what, I'm open to hearing what this is all about, then you can actually find a place of truth. Now, there was a, a philosopher way back in the uh, 16th or 1700s where his name was Rene Descartes. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Y'all will help me. <laughs> Descartes. <laughs> I don't know if that's how, how you say it. But he actually, he was a philosopher who was an atheist who became a Christian. And he said that the way that he became a Christian, the way that he came into the knowledge of the truth was starting from a place of doubt. 
He said, if you start from an honest place of doubt, you will always arrive at the truth. This is his argument. He wrote a whole book on this, which is an amazing book, by the way. And you should get it. Um, I'll give it to you after because I, I don't remember. But <laughs> it is an amazing book. And so he, he, he goes on to talk about when he had, he had to clear his mind of every assumption. Because what we don't realize is because we, we carry our assumptions about God, about the world, about belief with us. And we think that we're asking questions pure of just, you know, no influence or no intoxication. And it's just not true. The way that you know that you're asking from a place of purity is if you actually know what your assumptions are. But many of us don't even know that we're being influenced and we have presuppositions that are preventing us from asking things purely. So discovering truth and the age of reason is actually difficult for us, specifically the millennial generation. Discovering truth is almost like, I mean, just find your own truth. <laughs> Everybody has their own truth. You live your truth, I'm gonna live my truth. My truth just so happens to be Christianity. But there has to be an absolute truth. And if there's someone who says, no, there is no absolute truth, then it's a contradiction because if you say there is no absolute truth, are you saying that that's absolutely true? If you're going to tell me that there's no absolute truth, you must be saying that that's a true statement. In other words, that has to be absolutely true, and then you're defeating the argument that you're trying to make in the first place. So, Paul, he has to explain these things to people, and they come into belief. People in Berea, they're open-minded, and they eventually were persuaded. And so you're thinking, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, <laughs> how does that help us today? I mean, most of the people he's talking to are Jews anyway. So they already had this, like, awareness and knowledge and belief in God. How does that help us talk to people that we know? Not that you guys actually care about talking to people because we know that you don't do that, right? <laughs> Half of us are just okay being Christian in our corners, we don't got to talk to nobody about Jesus unless the door is open. And we'll say, oh, you want to know a little bit about Jesus? Okay. <laughs> right? Okay. Right. We'd be surprised when somebody asks us about our church or about Jesus, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so Paul goes to Athens next. He was in Thessalonica. Then he goes to Berea. Now he goes to Athens. Now, what's interesting about Athens is there were so many different beliefs and philosophy, philosophies <laughs> circulating the culture. And honestly, we have a problem, and this really bothers me because we think that we just, we think we know it all. Not only do we think we know it all, we think that in our society we are better than previous societies. It's easy for us to look at scripture and to say, oh, it was easy for them to reach 3,000 and 5,000 and all these thousands of people for Jesus because they obviously weren't as educated as we are. They obviously were an undeveloped society. We have modern technology and all these scientific advances. So they obviously were easier. It was easier for them to accept this message of Jesus in that time period because we've, de we've developed, we've progressed, right? 
But the reality is that the philosophies that circulate in our culture today are the same ones that were existent in that day and age. Actually, they were developed in that day and age. And so for us to think that for some reason the, the, the barriers that we have to reaching people for Jesus are more uh, difficult and, and bigger than back then, it's just not true. We, it's an easier to reach people for Jesus now than it ever was back then. But they were more successful back then than we are today. And that's sad. So let's read his, about his experience in Athens. In verse 16, and we can read together because y'all like that. One, two, three. <laughs> While Paul was waiting. <laughs> he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue, and he reasoned with Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who had a to hear. He also had a debate with some of them. This is not a race, everyone. Let's just try this again. One, two, three. He also. <laughs> there were sophisticated ideologies and philosophies circulating in that time period, and they're the same philosophies and ideologies that plague our society today. Go in here. I mean, everybody, listen, has to deal with this. Everybody, <laughs> everybody believes in something. I want us to say this again. Together. Everybody <laughs> believes in something. Say it again. Everyone believes in something. One more time. Every One more time. Now, there are people who will say, I don't believe in anything. I don't, you, no, 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 not me. You may believe in something, but I don't believe in anything. Well, you at least believe that you believe in nothing. So that's still a belief. So you can't escape belief. Everybody is shaped by their beliefs, by their assumptions, by their experiences. No one escapes it. Go to the next one. You either believe in secularism, hedonism, postmodernism, Islam, Buddhism, New Age, or universalism, karma, nihilism, existentialism, or Christianity. These are all beliefs that plague our society. You either believe that you reap what you sow, or you believe that there's nothing spiritual on earth. There's only the physical. You, you either believe that there's no hope. We might as well just live our lives and just die because that's what we're going to do anyway. Or you either believe that, listen, you might as well just turn up at every chance you get because pleasure is the only thing that satisfies you. Hedonism. You, you either believe that, 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 that there is no absolute truth, that every truth is relative, and so we might as well just let everybody believe what they want to believe because there is no absolute truth postmodernism. All of these things existed then and they exist now. And, they be, and because we don't know, and even in this room, we carry a lot of this stuff in our belief system. We carry it a part of us. And, and what we do is we project ideas about God. And when someone tells us about God or we read scripture about God, if it doesn't agree with what we already believe, what do we say? I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. What if 
the God that you don't believe in doesn't actually exist? What if the God that they don't believe in doesn't exist anyway? So you're actually justified in not believing in that God because that God doesn't exist. Some of the things that people tell me, I have friends who are atheists, and they'll tell me, I don't believe in God because of this, this, and this. And I'll be like, I don't believe in that God either. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just as atheist as you are when it comes to that aspect of God because if that's who you believe God is, call me an atheist because I'm right there with you. Right? There are idea, ideas about God that just aren't true. But the question is, what is your measuring rod? What is your source of truth? Where are you getting your information from? How are you discovering truth? Google, right? Oh, don't get me started on Google and Wikipedia and all of these YouTube videos with the eerie music and the... <laughs> The different scenes, it's like, did you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like that eerie, oh my goodness, I can't stand it. Paul is, is actually having a debate with Epicureans. Epicureans were ones who, their main goal in life was to maximize the amount of pleasure and to minimize the amount of pain they experienced in life. They were secularists. They didn't believe in a spiritual world. Anything spiritual, they were like, all that stuff is that, that's that spooky stuff you guys are talking about, right? That's why when he started talking about the resurrection of the dead, they were like, hold up. He's getting weird now. (laughs) We don't know what's going on with him. Um, And and, and the Stoics that he was talking to, (laughs) what did you say? Oh, Stoics. They believed that, you know, you can't control what happens in life, but you can control who you are. How many of you believe that? It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's kind of like a universal truth, but they live by that truth and nothing outside of it. There is, no, there is no miraculous intervention. There is no God who orders our steps and leads and guides us. There is no spiritual like, interaction or fellowship or communion. There is none of that. All it is is you can't control what happens in life. All you control is who you are and, and your response. I thank God that sometimes I don't have the right response, but God causes all things to work together for my good, and there are things that I mess up because I know that all I can control is myself, but sometimes I can't control myself. There are some times where I'm out of control. (laughs) Somebody help me. Somebody get me on track. Like I'm kind of lost if it's just left to my decisions, but God has a way of pulling your mistakes your missteps, your shortcomings, and bringing it all together to work together for the good of those who love him. That's good news. But Paul was fed up with all these philosophies. Aren't you just fed up with all these philosophies? And it led him to preach one of the most famous messages he ever preached in all of Scripture. Acts 17 marks the, 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 the biggest moment in Paul's ministry. I mean, he stood up amongst all of these philosophies. If, this, if, if Paul were alive today, I mean, he would be the man because he wasn't scared of nobody's ideas or, you know, thought patterns. Some of us kind of shrink in fear when, when we are encountered with other ideas and stuff like that, but he wasn't like that. So look what it says. I'm going to read this. You just... 
Follow along. <laughs> Acts chapter 17, verse 22 says, So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you were very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Now understand, this was unheard of for him to say. He was taking this word. Now understand that he's in Athens and so he's speaking in Greek. And so he's using words that they didn't even have. There is no word for God in the Greek language. It's only theos. And so he talks about you're worshiping these gods, right? And he uses that Greek word that they know of. And he says, this is the God. This is the theo, the God. He is the one who created everything that you see. And he's the one who orders your steps. This is what he says. He says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Come on, everybody clap for the apostle Paul for laying it down, for putting it down and letting them know who the king of glory is. And you, and you should just be like, wow, right? They, they're probably like, oh, my goodness. Wow. God is powerful. I want to know who he's talking about. But that ain't what they said. <laughs> This is what they said. Verse 32 says, when they heard Paul speak about, listen, about the resurrection of the dead, they were cool with everything else. It was almost like, okay, there's a God <laughs> who created the world and everything in it. That's not too far-fetched. He goes on and he starts and he proved this by raising him from the dead. Hold on one minute. <laughs> what do you mean by raise him from the dead? You mean like he was dead and he came back to life? <laughs> They're like, <laughs> look what they said. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. <laughs> He's talking about somebody got up who was dead. <laughs> 
Some of y'all don't believe that people can wake up from the dead. And then others said, we want to hear more about this later. <laughs> Let's table that conversation. We'll do lunch. And so that ended Paul's discussion with them. And can you imagine Paul at this time? I mean, if that was me and I just put out all this energy explaining all this stuff and some people are laughing at me and some other people are like, hey, let's do lunch later and talk about this later, right? And I'm just like, yeah. And then that just ends the discussion. I'm kind of feeling like, dang, <laughs> I probably won't do this again. <laughs> that ends the discussion with them. But look at this. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. Now, at this point, he's converted now a member of the council. You remember the, all those councils that they, they brought Paul and Peter and, and all these people to? Now he's converted a member of the council. So now Christianity now has a little bit of status and has a little bit of influence in high places. It would be like the CEO or someone, some government. It would be like if Trump got saved, for real, for real, for real, right? It, it would be like someone, Jesus actually penetrates the heart of somebody in a high-impact high position. That actually happened. And just like that, we're left with this pe these people who have accepted this message. And now Paul's just like, okay, let's plant a church. Let's make this thing happen. But see, what happens is the people who rejected his message understand why they rejected it. They rejected it because they didn't like the way the resurrection sounded. It just sounded frivolous, like, that, that can't happen. And in our culture, we reduce truth to something that sounds right or sounds logical to us. We reduce absolute truth to something that actually makes sense. So nothing that doesn't make sense can be true in our society. That's pretty much, our definition of truth today is, as long as it makes sense. The moment it doesn't make sense, it's no longer true. You ask any millennial <laughs> if this is true, if it doesn't sound right, it ain't true. Y'all are the same way. Oh, that don't sound right. I don't know. <laughs> that ain't true. Who's that? <laughs> because it didn't sound right. And so it's understanding that we are shaped and influenced by our assumptions. And our skepticism is rooted in our assumptions. And if our assumptions are not rooted in truth, we're already lost. And so even when we encounter truth, if we don't honestly come to a place of open-minded, I'm just going to be a blank set, I'm actually going to search this thing out for real, using reason, if we don't do that, we'll, we'll be lost. There are people here, you're Christian, but it's because you just grew up that way. That doesn't mean that Christianity is not true. It just means that you're only Christian because you grew up that way. And people know that about you. And they don't want to hear your message because they're like, well, if you grew up like I grew up, you wouldn't be Christian. 
And so the task is not just for unbelievers to search the truth, to find out why I believe what I believe, and to discover the truth in the age of reason. It's not just for unbelievers, but it's for you in here today. I could preach, oh, God's going to turn your life around and change your situation, and I did that last week, but this week, it ain't about that. Let me ask you this. Who are you putting your trust in? Who is the anchor for your hope? What is it that you fundamentally believe about God that no one can shake, that no circumstance, that no problem can undo? Is there an aspect of your faith that is absolutely unshakable? Or are you just Mr. Swiggles? (laughs) You don't really know what you believe. You're just out here. (laughs) Harlem shaking. (laughs) Right, <laughs> And I know y'all tired, but it's because y'all played that long game. So I'm going to read this. <laughs> I'm going to let y'all go. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 in the message version. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. And don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. And so the problem with us trusting in God, the the, the problem with our inability to really follow God and, and really trust in his plan is we assume that we know something that he doesn't know. We, we assume that we know something that he hasn't figured out yet. Well, God, I know you want me to trust you, but did you consider this? <laughs> God, I know that you said walk on this path, but when I walked on this path, I saw something on the road. Did you see it? Just want to be sure before I take another step. And so he says, listen, don't try to figure everything out on your own. Don't lean on your own understanding. Because your understanding is flawed. Because of your presuppositions. So, what are you leaning on? What are you leaning on? Is it your own understanding? Are you trying to make sense of it? Are, are you, where's my scripture? <laughs> I didn't, no, I'm playing. <laughs> are, listen, are you trusting God from the bottom of your heart? You know what that means, trusting God with all your heart from the bottom of your heart? It means that you submit all of your emotions about your doubts and your fears. It's not easy to trust God. But what you're saying is, I'm going to trust you even, though I don't even know if you really know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm still going to trust you with that. I want to submit my uncertainty to you. I'm going to submit the fact that I'm uncertain that you have it all under control. I'm going to submit that to you. These questions are important, not just for your personal life, but they're important for us as a church because I want this church, a lot of times I talk about we, but I want this church to be a safe place where people can come and explore faith. This ain't going to be the place where you come in here and it's just, oh, oh, happy-go-lucky, oh, we Christian, blah, blah, blah. I want to know if, why you believe what you believe. 
And I want people to come in here and be able to say, hey, you know, why do you, why do, you do this Christian thing? And you might say, you know, I don't even have it all figured out. But here's what I do know. Like, I trust God. I've seen him do some things in my life. I've got some doubts. But they're not big enough to make me lose hope in the God who has come through for me time after time after time after time. So you may not be in that kind of place, but that's where I'm in. And I'm just trying to walk this journey out, right? And I just found community of other people who were in that same place. That's the kind of place that E2VG is going to be, is today. That's the place where we want to be. When we go to Midtown, that's the heart that we want to have, right? There's a difference between curiosity and cynicism. I want to read this. I said that was the last one. I lied. This is the last one. I want to read what the same sermon that I read before, Paul's sermon, but I want to read it in the message version. And then I'm going to pray. Yeah, we're going to get out of here. It says this. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines. He doesn't need the human race to run errands for him. I need you all to hear that. He doesn't need y'all to run errands for him as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark but actually find him. He doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him and can't get away from him. I'm not here to say that I have all the answers. But what I am, what I am here to say is you can explain away the reality of God, but you can't erase it. You can justify why you don't believe that he's real or he's true but you can never erase the reality of his presence. Mm. 